I'm going to read our scripture today. Uh, today, we continue in our parables series. We've been looking at parables uh, for the last six or so weeks with kind of a lens about relationship. How do these parables teach us how to be in relationship with God and relationship with others? Uh, relationships. We know relationships have been so impacted and affected over the last couple of years. And we continue to read about it's hard to be in relationship with other Christians. It's hard to be in relationship in my family or with friends. There's loneliness. There's anxiety. What does God's word say about how to be in relationship with him and with others? Today, I have the privilege to preach from Luke 15. It's the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son, depending how your, how your text calls it. Um, so this is our scripture, Luke 15, starting in uh, verse 11. Jesus continues telling stories. He's always telling stories to people gathered around. He's telling a parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make, make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and refused to go into the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. He answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this incredible story, this incredible parable. And God, we just pray that we would find ourselves in the story this morning. Teach us, Lord, what you want to teach us this morning about how to connect to the Father's heart, about how to be in relationship with our brothers, with our sisters, with our friends, with people at church. God, teach us, again, open our minds and our ears and our hearts that we would come to know you more. God, we love you. And all God's people said, amen. This is one of those weeks where 
the depth and power of the story is really the whole, it's the whole thing, right? Like I could just read the story, we could be quiet, we could read the story again, and we could just go off into our lives because the story is so powerful. But I have spent the week praying and preparing to share with you some thoughts. And again, through the lens of relationship, what does this story say to you about the Father's heart for you? What does this story say to you about how to be in relationship with others? I've been really on this quest to understand more of the Father's heart. And uh, it's complicated for so many of us because of our own family, familial relationships with our father or with our, you know, in our family of origin or maybe our roommates or whoever we live with. It's complicated. Today's title is called Family Dynamics and the Father's Heart, because each of the different characters in the story has so much to teach us. And part of my journey, just learning more about the Father Heart of God, I picked up this book called The Father's Heart of God from uh, Floyd McClung Jr. And he's an interesting writer, uh, not overly theological or scholarly, but just his whole ministry is about the Father's Heart. And he's gone around the world teaching people how to understand the Father's heart. And as he goes around the world teaching about the Father's heart, he keeps hearing these incredible stories. One of the stories in the book, I'll tell you now. There was a young man named Sawat, a true story, uh, who lived in a village near the Malaysian border of Thailand and left his home, went to Bangkok, sought the freedom of the unboundaried life, he got involved in prostitution and then opium trading and was living like the story in the far-off country. And then he had this young man swat and a really horrible turn of events in Bangkok. He was robbed. He was mugged. He was thrown in jail. Coming out of jail, everyone in his crime circle considered him an informant for the police, so they beat him again. He ended up not being even safe in the spaces he was before, so he ended up living on the outskirts of town in a shanty near the garbage heap outside of the city center. And it was there in his shanty that he remembered home. And he had the courage to write home and say, Father, I want to come home. That was all he wrote in his letter. Father, I want to come home. Now, that story... In the book, McClung kind of talks about the father's heart. That story and this longing to return home is absolutely synonymous with the story Jesus told 2,000 years ago called the prodigal son. I, I want to go home. I want to be restored. I want to be remade. Bible scholars call this the prodigal son or the lost son or the wayward son. All of it about a son who departs the goodness of home and in the in the, the far-off country, finds himself wanting, wanting for the life that's really life. And isn't it amazing how we can be convinced that the life uh, of wild living or unboundaried or sin or fallenness, of, of being able to do whatever I want, like there's this like, oh, that'll feel great, won't it? And, and it always leaves us wanting the life of desire without God in the middle of it leaves us in places of brokenness. This story talks about this boy 
And then in recent years, the scholarship has shifted to be the story of the older brother. The story who's not wanting like the younger brother, but the older brother who is waiting outside the gathering at the inn. He's waiting outside the party. He's somehow followed the rules, but has not been met by the father's heart. And by the end, as you just heard, the younger son is restored, met affectionately by the father. The older son is still outside the gathering, outside the party. So who is this younger son? Who is the older son? And what does this have to teach us about the father's heart? The story is so rich. I would strongly, strongly encourage you in the week ahead to open your Bibles, open your Bible apps, read this story for yourself, and find yourself in the story. And my hope today is that we would, as a church, be tapped into this extravagant love of God. But there's something in this younger son who experienced emptiness that presses him towards the extravagance. And isn't it often true that it's the emptiness that teaches us about the extravagance? It's the, the turning back to God, the awareness that my life without God is empty, that actually flips us and puts us in a posture where we're able to be restored. I want us to be a community in touch with the extravagance, but I also know we need to be able to name the emptiness and that we as a church would be deeper and deeper connected to the Father's heart. The Father is for you. The Father's heart, like the story tells, longs to hold you and restore you in places that you're wanting and move you from places where you're waiting outside of that intimate space with him. This is, there's no way to tell this story, to preach a message like this in 20 minutes, but I'll just, I want to talk a little bit about the family dynamics and about the, the father's heart, and then I want to kind of get to the essence of the story as we close. So let's start here at who are the characters in the story? What's the challenge of the family dynamics? This is the title of the, of the sermon, Family Dynamics and the Father's Heart. What's the, the family dynamics at play here? When Jesus tells the story, he tells about these two sons, the young son who ran and the old son who worked. And both of them seem cut off, of course, from the father's heart. It's really, really important when we come to this story to identify where are we at right now. Are there places of sin, of emptiness? Are there places where we're wanting but not going to God to actually fill us and we're pursuing something other than God to try to fill that longing within us? And those, oh, we're acting like the younger son. Are there places, though, that maybe we're acting like the older son, where we're outside of that touch of the Heavenly Father who longs to restore and meet us, that we would have not just a head knowledge about God, but a heart connection. We are meant to be moved, Scripture says, with the transforming of our minds, but that we would experience that in our own lives, a touch of the Holy Spirit, that we would be alive. We worship a living God, which means our lives are meant to be like this younger son at the end of the story, places of restoration and healing. Who are we in the story? 
the, the younger son, he's, he's wanting something that he's pursuing, like Sawat in the illustration I gave you. He's wanting something in the far-off country, and it leaves him wanting. He's a, he's a picture of brokenness. Henry Nouwen would write about this extensively. I'll share with you a quote. We have this quote, too, from Henry Nouwen. The world says, yes, I will love you if you're good-looking, intelligent and wealthy. I love you if you have a good job, a good education, good connections. I love you if you produce much, sell much, buy much. And Nouwen writes, I am the prodigal son every time I search for an unconditional love in a place where it cannot be found. See, some of us are like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not that young son. I'm not like, you know, maybe my, my challenge is in prostitution right now. But this story challenges all of us. It should challenge us. Are there places where we're off in the far-off country instead of at the Father's knees? Now, when we're, when we're searching for fulfillment in places of the far-off country, in places of others' esteem, of wealth, of endless vacations, of sexual gratification of any of these things that that by themselves can be good but outside of relationship with God this story challenges us everything must be grounded in proximity to the father and then the older son who knew the father as a boss but not as a not as a real provider this story encourages us to get in touch with our needs the the older son who's like you never gave me anything and I was right here like, are there places where maybe we're just not naming our desire and bringing it to God? Like, God, would you meet me in these places of emptiness, these places of longing? Uh, an author who I've quoted extensively over the last couple of months here in church, Pete Scazzaro, he says this. He says, we are like the older son who at times he's living in the father's house, but he too is left home because he remains far from the father's love. Scazzaro writes, I can appear to be near God and yet actually be very far from him when I'm not intentional and purposeful about embarking and embracing in my weakness and vulnerability, then every day I become the older son. Wow. If we're not embarking into places of our weakness and our vulnerability and signs that maybe it's like, well, how am I becoming like the older son if we're grumbling, if we're bitter, if we're angry if we're holding on to complaints see this older son he he's near the father but he he's waiting outside the father's touch he's he's cut off from the father's embrace he's cut off from the generous heart of god and faith in christ will do that it should do that it'll force us to evaluate our blind spots it'll force us to to turn back to god to be a christian is to be restored and transformed over and over and over again. The ancient church had this practice called the Jesus Prayer. And the Jesus Prayer was simply this, Holy Lord God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And there's something about that prayer that the church practiced for generations because it teaches us to turn back to God. The secret for the younger son's restoration happens in his turning for home. Like Sawat in the story, to say, God, I want to come home. I want to stop staying outside your embrace. I'm missing it in a key relationship. I've, I've got this thing that I don't know what to do, God. I've got to turn back to God. It's challenging for so many of us because of our own family dynamics. We 
can, can hear a sermon or, or read a Bible verse, but then how do we practice that in the context of relationship? And we, we can hear about what Jesus says about his father in Luke 15, but for some of us, our own relationship with father, our, our earthly father, can distort what we think about the heavenly father. I think so many Christians feel cut off from the father's heart because we didn't know a father that loved us like that. I, I spent a couple of days last week with my own father, a very good man. He wanted to take a last trip to, to Canada, to a place where we used to work, and so I helped him trailer a boat up there and spend a couple of days getting them situated on the island where, where they were staying and taking them out fishing, and it was a good time. During uh, fishing, we had the, the, the phone synced up with the stereo, and uh, my parents are Christians. I was raised in a Christian home. But for me, it took me quite a while to connect to the Father's heart because I wanted something true and authentic and real, something that transcended some of the spirituality I saw around me. And so out fishing, the, the song, the Chris Tomlin song, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are. And we're singing this, and I was just thinking a lot about my own family dynamics and a lot about how at times, my relationship with Father God has been challenged, either because my own failings as a father or my own relationship with my earthly father. I realize how much of my identity I've spent trying to people-please people around me. I just I, I cried out in prayer that night to God, God, I want to please you. I want to know you. I want to know your heart. And if we as a church, are connecting again and again to the Father's heart. We'll have a, a sustenance for our relationships. We'll have a goodness that makes us not people that just can read the scriptures, but that the Spirit would live within. That's the challenge of family dynamics, but it's this encouragement about teaching us as his people about the characteristics of the Father. There's so much I'd want to unpack about this story, about this Father who you can deduce from the story from Luke 15, the father was watching for him. Time has passed, some weeks, some months, maybe even years, scholars said. But the father's heart is always watching for us. For people in this room that feel like, man, I don't feel connected to God right now. You need to know that this father is watching for you and longs for your restoration. Like, here from Luke 15, while he was still a long way off, the text says, the father saw him. What's the connotation? He, he's watching. The son is a long way off, and the father sees him, and the father's filled with compassion, and the father ran to the son, threw his arms around him, kisses him profusely. And then the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, there is a turning back. Repentance is necessary. This young son, he gets a taste of the father's love, but he participated. He participated. Like the story that Jesus tells wasn't, you know, that, that the, the son was like just begrudgingly kind of like pulled back to the home. The son went looking for home. And then the father was watching for him. And, and the father said to him, Bring the best robe, put it on him, put, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, clothe him in righteousness, bring the fattened calf and kill it, let's have a feast and let's celebrate for the son was dead and now he's alive. It's really important to remember the context Jesus was telling in Luke 15. He's telling this story mostly in this moment to, to religious people 
And Jesus is trying to get them to understand the characteristics of the Father. He wants these people to really understand just how generous the Father is. Just how wild it is that this Father, the Father that we know as Father God, is a God who runs to us. That, 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 that takes on shame in order to, to, to restore us. That doesn't hold back when we turn back to him. That just lavishes a love on us. He's generous. He's welcoming. And he's remarkable. And if it's felt like it's been a while since you've experienced that kind of touch in your heart from the Father, friends, I need to encourage you. It's time to get on your knees and to just say, Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to experience this kind of lavish love. When when Jesus uh, tells this story, he's, he's kind of harkening back to Isaiah, where Isaiah said, this God, this Father that we love and worship, he wants to clothe us in righteousness. And so Jesus is telling this parable about the, the Father that runs to the Son, embracing him, and then just restores him more than the Son could ever have gotten in the far-off country. And see, that's the thing that I just, I feel so strongly about. Like, we, we go off looking for something we think will fulfill us, and, and fulfillment is actually right at the feet of the Father. That's where God longs to meet us. That's the goodness and the hope that the world will lie to us and say that there is more joy to be found out there in the far-off country. But the story actually goes that the best life is those that know the Father's heart the most. This Father gives good gifts. The robe, the ring, the sandals, all of that means so much in a first century context. Like I said, it, it kind of harkens to Isaiah 61. This God gives good gifts. This father, he, he runs in the story. And that day and age, to, to show for men to show their calves, like to show above their cloak would have been kind of shameful. This, this father doesn't care. Because nothing means more than restoring relationship with, with us, the sons and daughters. And so you kind of get a picture of him just hiking his robe and just setting off running. And this father's love is extravagant. Now, so much to say, so little time. But if you study the story, the father doesn't say, just bring any old robe. He says, bring the best robe. He doesn't say, just bring any calf, because we got a lot of them. He says, Bring the fattened calf. See, there's something about the extravagant love of God that's actually costly for the older brother. And that might be saying something to people in this room, and I don't know what God wants to do with that in your life, but the older brother who's been working now won't have the best robe. He won't have the fattened calf. And first century, you know, that goes all the way back to Abraham times, but you know, the fattened calf was the calf fed like veal, like fed with milk, fed with grain. It was a, the celebratory calf in preparation for a big covenant or a huge celebration. So there's something about this older brother that the, the father's extravagant love is a little costly to him. Because if, if I'm like, I can be a little selfish sometimes. Like if I'm in this story, I, I might be saying like, gosh, those are things that maybe I want. I want the best robe. I want the fattened calf. 
It's like that other story where, you know, Jesus, like the different, you know, the parables in the vineyard, the workers in the vineyard, where like one works all day and then, you know, one works midday and then one works at the end and they all get paid the same. And there's something for those of us in faith that sometimes God's grace might feel challenging to us who've been following the rules or doing the good thing. And then there's that, oh, I got to turn because I'm getting bitter. I'm getting angry. I need a fresh experience with this father's heart because his love is extravagant. And that's where I want to take us here as we close. The crux of the story, the thing that I just want to impress upon us as a community. We've got to be pressing in, men, women, young, old, all of us in the room, all of us online, to be rediscovering the Father's heart. This is a big work in the season ahead. The crux of this story that Jesus told, younger brother, older brother, fat and calf, all the details are all about the Father's heart. I pick up in Luke 15, verse 20, and the older brother became angry. He refused to go into the celebration, so his father went out to him. The father goes to both sons. Don't miss that. One he runs, one he leaves a party for. It's costly for the father, but the father will always come for us. The religious ones, the broken ones, the empty ones, the the waiting ones, the wanting ones, he always comes. So the father goes out and he pleads with his older son. But this, he, he answers, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. you never dis- I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you're, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. There's a radical invitation in this story for all of us to experience again and again and again a touch of the father's heart a touch of our own life that we hey you know i i thought some things about jesus 20 years ago but what really matters is this moment that we have to be aware of the way in which the Father is constantly trying to engage us and move us into spaces where we could become like him. We could become more gracious. We could become more loving. We would know again, like the son in the story, this Father who longs to hold us and run to us and kiss us. And the older brother who's missing the best part of life because of his bitterness, because he's hung up on god's radical grace someone in this room right now is like oh this story is for me i want you to know god loves you so much and god desires that our hearts would be engaged that we'd be people of head and heart moving deeper into this story because the son has has squandered so much but nothing could remove the father's heart for him and be warned at the end as you think about this story in the week ahead only one of the boys is experiencing the father's heart you get a picture where the younger son is actually hearing the heartbeat of the father as he's being held in the embrace and then the celebration that ensues and meanwhile the older son is missing it what does god want to say to your heart this morning.
Where are places that you're missing his heart? What does he want to say to you? At the end of this book, The Father Heart of God, McClung tells the end of that story of Sawat, a young boy who lived this prodigal son story, this true story. He, he sends a letter home. Father, I just, I just want to come home. But he needed a sign. He said, Father, I don't even want to get out of the train. He, this village was up by the Malaysian border. Unless I know that you will welcome me, would you just give me a sign? Just tie a piece of white cloth in the poetry outside our house. And if it's not there, I understand. I will just, I'll travel on. And as Sawat's train got closer and closer to his village, as he was overwhelmed, like, what will this, my, what will my earthly father, what will he do? He was a Christian man. Sawat knew that. He, he had a hunch his father would, would restore him, but he didn't know. And finally, he said to a neighbor on the, on the train, he's like, you know, this is my story. And I need you to watch for me because I can't even bear to look. And when we pull up to the train station, you'll know my house. It's the only one with the poetry. If there's a piece of cloth, will you tell me? Because I can't even look. And so the train comes chugging to a stop. And this guy says, friend, your father has not left a piece of cloth in the tree. He's covered the whole tree with these white squares. And Swat looks out the train, and the father is leaping up and down. <laughs> and the tree is wrapped in white cloth. That's the love that God has for us. Will we experience it again and again and again? Will we be people of head and hearts and father of sin? I, I, there's parts of me that are like that younger son. And father, there's parts of me that are like that older brother. I'm missing so much, caught up in my bitterness or my brokenness or my judgmentalness. God, I want to be experiencing your heart. That we would have fresh encounters by the power of the Holy Spirit with the Father heart of God. This is the journey we're on. And if you want to today, like we're having baptisms in an hour and a half. If you're like, this is crazy, but I just feel like, I want to know the Father's heart again. I want to invite you. We have five people being baptized. I dare say, let's make it six or seven or eight or nine. You are invited. And if today's not the right day for baptism, I want to encourage you in the week ahead to find time and space to be looking for the markers of your Father who loves you. He's leaving signs everywhere. Come home. Come in. There's trees of white cloth placed everywhere throughout your life where the Father is saying, I love you so much, and I just want you to experience my heart. Let's pray now. Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful story. What a beautiful story, Jesus. It's so touching. And I know for many of us, we've heard this story. I mean, we've taught on this story. We've read this story. Would you make it new again in our hearts, God? Would you help us find your heart to be connected to intimacy with you, God? Would this be a, a season, not a far-off living or outside the party bitterness, God? Would you, would you move us into spaces that are worshipful, 
Would you allow us even today to see markers how you're calling us, wooing us. You're, you're leaving white trees of forgiveness and hope all around. Move us, God, as people of compassion and grace and mercy, deeply connected to your heart. In your great name we pray. Amen. We, um, at the end of every service, we have prayer team members, and there'll be some prayer team members on the left or right. I want to encourage you, if this message did something for you today, if you just feel like, man, I, I really heard from God today, I really encourage you to be bold and to come forward and ask for prayer. These, when you come forward for prayer, you're saying, yeah, I need to turn back to God. And if you're like me, I did that this morning. So sometimes it's pride that keeps us stuck. And if you don't want to come for prayer, that's okay. We're also available to pray with you after service. What really matters in this moment is for us to be experiencing the heartbeat of God, connected to the God who loves you. So we'll sing some songs. If you're able and willing to come forward for prayer, we have people trained in prayer that would love to pray over you. We want to know that this is a community that really knows how to tap into the Father's heart. Let's close in worship.